when we experience a lack of belonging, it's actually a, a trauma. You know, there's it's a traumatic event when we don't belong. And for our native communities, being able to belong to each other is everything because we're holding on to threats. Today on the podcast, Indigenous Resilience, Healing Trauma Through Tradition and Resistance. With Jesse Thistle, Teokutsen Ghost Horse, Ruby Gibson, Patricia June Vickers, and Gabor Mate. Coming up today on The Sounds of Sand, if you're ready to explore together, listen in now. Welcome to Science and Non-Duality. What is non-duality? The universal forces. It's the collective conscious being aware. Trauma is not the external event that happens. Trauma is the impact of that event, which is the disconnection from ourselves. That matter is energy. Energy is matter. That's what EMC squared is about. There's a language without nouns. There is a language without subjugation. There's a language without objectifying. But if it's recorded, then we there is a collapse. But if it's not, then it's the infinite potentiality. Welcome back to The Sounds of Sand, a podcast presented by Science and Non-Duality. So we have a really fascinating and important talk today. This is from our Talks on Trauma series that happened last year in 2021. And this panel contains a wide range of experts on trauma and psychology, history of colonization, and embodied wisdom from various indigenous traditions around North America. And this panel is hosted by Dr. Gabor Mate, who's the star of The Wisdom of Trauma, a film produced by Science and Non-Duality. And you can find out more about the film by going to scienceandnonduality.com or thewisdomoftrauma.com. And there you can watch the film on a donation basis or purchase the all-access pass, which will give you access to the film and also to a series of webinars and courses related specifically to the wisdom of trauma featuring Dr. Gabor Mate. So we'll have bios and links to all of our guests in the show notes today. So I just want to get right into the conversation and introduce Indigenous Resilience, Healing Trauma Through Tradition and Resistance with Dr. Ruby Gibson, Teokinson Ghost Horse, Jesse Thistle, Patricia June Vickers, and Dr. Gabor Mate. Let me begin with a really large question, and I'll ask all of you to address it. So, when I worked in with a highly addicted population in the downtown east side of Vancouver, 30% uh, of my clients were First Nations origin, Indigenous origin. Indigenous people make up 4 or 5% of the Canadian population. They also make up 30% of Canada's jail population. Uh, I know, Ruby, uh, I understand you live near the Pine Ridge uh, area. Is that the case? And and I looked up. Yeah. That has no, uh, momentary lowest life expectancies of anywhere in um, in North America. And uh, we all know, I think we all know the reasons for all that. But the history that has been told has been told very much from the point of view of the colonizer. And I have a book here 
that was it's called Up Up and Away. And until forty years ago, this is a textbook in in British Columbia, where I live. Schools children learned this, and there's a story in it of the railroad expanding west, and this Indian chief that they called Payapot sets up his teepee across the railway right of railway light right of way, and this calm, courageous RCMP sergeant comes and kicks over the teepee while Payapot's squaw squeaked inside. And this is presented as wonderful history. And then, of course, I read Jack Forbes, uh, who was the father of the Native American movement, and he writes his book called Columbus and Other Cannibals, which presents a totally different view of history. And earlier this week, or last week, we spoke with Ariel Deranger, who was a indigenous person from Canada, and she talked about so-called Canada. And uh, Teokasin, I heard you speak about Turtle Island. So even the concept of the United States and Canada is kind of a colonial imposition. So the, the big question I'm asking all four of you to address is, talk to me about history uh, from the point of view of the dominant society and history from the point of view of, of, of indigenous people who who suffered that history. Because what's it like to grow up with the history told by somebody else? And what's it like to reclaim your own history? That's what I'm asking. It's a big question, and I'll ask any of you to address it who are willing to speak to it. Jesse, please. Yeah, history is um, a great orientation tool uh, for people living, right? We're the inheritors of our histories. And so meta-narrative gives people societal orientation towards the future, right? Uh, take, for, for instance, the immigrant story. Um, family might have suffered uh, during World War II, came to Canada, made a go of it, were successful, and they pride themselves in that history, right? Because it's written and it's recognized. Well, for indigenous people, our history has been uh, suppressed in many ways uh, outside of our community knowledge. And so what that does is it takes away our meta-narrative so we don't know our societal place or it's been suppressed, right? So it's hard to be proud. It's hard to know where one's from. It's hard to know one's identity. And without that, you can't have positive orientation towards the future. And this is writ large all over North America. And uh, part of my job as a historian, actually, is to recover that meta narrative so people can orient themselves in the trauma that they're experiencing. Thank you. Is anyone else moved to answer that or respond to that question? I, I would like to say something. Um, the, uh, <laughs> okay, this is, it's just a little bit hard for me to say because 
it's so shocking, but they are in the process of banning all Native American um, history from the children in South Dakota's history books. And it's a very um, archaic type of practice, but Turner has decided that that's what they're going to do. And we're having a big battle about that. So that can give us a, a shred of the amount of respect in our own state we have nine reservations, and um, and there's a kind of a collapsing system that that gets bred in communities because the children have difficulty really focusing in school or lack of nutrition. You know, these children are have been given a lot of antidepressants, and we know that that just numbs our emotional body, right? And so, the problem that's going on is that we're seeing a teenage generation who have all been medicated from early on in their lives, and so we yes. spend. We had a lot of time talking about some of these issues, so um, I guess that's a, a little view from here. Thank you. I think you're muted. We can't hear you. In the meanwhile, Patricia, do you have anything to say on that question or should I move on? Yeah, I do. Um, I was thinking before we started that we're four people from, four two-leggeds from four different nations. And something we have in common is that um, we start in, in a good way. And, um, and so I just want to acknowledge that and how including yourself we're we're all connected and we're all connected in a good way and f for myself to answer that question i think it's been my struggle is to being raised with two different cultures and then going to university and hearing in the 70s the dirt and filth of indians in canada and then having with inside of me that same belief because I was conditioned to believe that through oppression. It's taken some time to come to the place to see, well, first to heal from trauma and then to begin to participate in our ceremonies and studying from elders and from the language and from our sacred stories. And um, and all of it good. So r rather than me coming from this, although it is fighting, but fighting with the sense of believing at some place 
that we're inferior as a people. I no longer believe that, um, nor do I believe that we're superior. Um, because then I wouldn't be abiding in our ancestral law, our ancestral teachings, which were given to us by the Creator. So um, here in Canada with the 215 found, um, it's scientific backup, let's say, that it's it's been an insane history. And I think we're just coming to a place of of seeing that and awakening to that. Thank you. Diokasin, are you back with us? I think so. Can you hear? Yes, we can. I'm so glad awesome. to be able to hear you. Awesome. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Could you pose a question again? Thank you. Well, I was talking about how history is presented. And um, I was watching one of your talks on YouTube, and you talk about in the Lakota language, there's no word for dominance. Did I get that right? That's true. So can you just talk about how language itself shapes our view of the world and, 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 you know, dominance and control and exploitation. These are words that are very embedded in the dominant culture. Um, can you talk about how our very language skews our view of history and, and our experience? I'll, I'll give it a go here. Um, I'd like to thank uh, you all for being here and, and it's an honor to be here. Um, Chante Waste Napechu Zapiello. Um, it's a good feelings in my heart to all of you, and um, I want to say that, you know, Ruby brought forward that the language, the curriculum of Dakota and forth and the history of either wanting to know about Native people if it's okay, and then when it gets that we seem to have an advantage, then we are suppressed further back into uh, I guess the dungeon of people's minds, and when I think about that, nine states right now presently suppressing or trying to ban native curriculum, and uh, they don't want to hear it except for Thanksgiving or maybe Columbus Day. Um, and so that, that history, as I, as I know it, being told by elders when I was very young is before 1492. And so you see the majority of our feelings, of our thought processes, are coming from a, a place that is new to the to the, the Western way of thinking, and therefore the thoughts which are so earth distanced from how to behave, how to respect, how to relate um, in a relational language with the earth, that the earth is the medicine. So we, I, I don't say evolved because that's a Western thought. I would say how we came to be with the earth movements and rhythm uh, through that language of relationship, not just to the community of, of humans, uh, even so that even the, the concept of humanity um, is a Western thought, because our community is, is all nature, I'd, I'd say that without. And so dominance came into play coming from a, a very hierarchical, uh, feudalistic way of being, and uh, it, it was plunked, I guess I would say. It was put on Native people to think another way, feel another way, and to talk another way, and lose the, the, the relationship into a rationality and a connective language. And um, I think that's part of 
our reference, our go-to, our default as Native people has to do with relationship without dominance. There is no concept or, or word for dominance or domination in, in at least Lakota, as far as I know, and asking elders. Um, so I think it's, it's that earth history that we are talking about, how we still relate, not how we did relate, how we were, but how we are now. Um, so bringing that future and the past into the present always with this language of consciousness rather than one of cause and effect with, with uh, I would say, um, hierarchical thinking, uh, non-egalitarian thinking, um, and basically binary dualistic thinking, which, you know, is very restrictive to learning how to mm, live with that medicine that we kind of earth distance ourselves from. Uh, the trees, the rocks, and those elders. So that's our that's our play. That's at play with us is these elders, and we're put into right angles where we don't really see that anymore because of how we're supposed to succeed. Um, so our 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 acknowledgement is not there for Earth anymore. So it's it's very easy to to you know make our language restrictive so that the the foreigner or the the dominant language understands us but it's now about the boxes is open now so we're all about inclusion and that inclusion is community of the earth so if i could say it that way gavor then i, I could add it that way thank you thank you um which brings me to a very next question certainly if there's any one lesson that i hope has been driven home to us with this COVID situation is a relationality a relationality to nature, a relationality to one another, to everything. And um, uh, there's a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, Dr. Louis Samal Madrona, who's part Lakota, and uh, he told me that in the Lakota tradition, when somebody gets ill, they're not seen as isolated individuals, but the whole community says, thank you, you're manifesting something that's going on with all the rest of us. So our job is to help you heal so that we can heal. So that the very healing is, is relational rather than individual. Um, I often heard when I visited the First Nations communities, this phrase, all my relations. And uh, when I participated in sweat lodges a few times, they're bringing the big hot rocks and they say, we're bringing the grandmothers and the grandfathers. So like the rocks are our, our ancestors. Can you talk about relationality, uh, which is Western science is now quote-unquote validating, but which has always been a part of indigenous traditions. Can you talk about, and trauma of course happens in relationships. So will any of you want to talk about relationality when it comes to healing? Yes. Thank you, Gabor. Um, um, it's good to be here with all of you. I, I believe that um, that the, well, in Lakota tradition, in ways, there's a circle, and it's the oldest indigenous symbol of all time, and when we organize around that, we have the four elements 
the four directions, four um, uh, parts of our being. And we use a circular map in order to um, be able to know beginning, end, completion, time. You know, there's, there's so many things that are wrapped up in circles. But it really is representative of our teachers to the north, which are the winged, the winged ones, and the um, our teachers to. No, I'm sorry, our teachers to the um, east, our teachers to the south, our teachers west. However, we name those, and it gives us a foundation for everything that go for everything that's earthy. Because um, uh, when we experience a lack of belonging, it's actually a, 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 um, a trauma. You know, there's, it's a traumatic event when we don't belong. And for our Native communities, being able to belong to each other is everything because we're holding on to threads. And as we hold on to each other, we hold on to threads. And so a lot of um, that need to belong is so much drives our, our inner choices uh, about where do we go. We have a lot of kids who go off to college and then come back home because they want to be part of that. I mean, it feels familiar. To them, and I mean that's true for everyone, but especially when you have disruption of family, you know, when you have five hundred plus years of of, um, of genocide. So, I think for a community that has experienced genocide, we're doing good at recovering, and you know, we did take a strong hit with COVID, but. It, we're we're growing and um, learning as we go. So we developed a, a technique called somatic archaeology, and it's about unearthing history in the body. And this archaeology um, of our own story can go back seven generations in our body. We're able to look. Our body is actually a walking library full of so much information and mm -hmm. when we start to dance in instead of dance out it you know it changes our life it changes our emotions it changes our choices because we get to connect so many dots inside of us it's a simple process it's air fire water and earth but it it works and we we provide trainings um, all across indian country to get our um, native counselors um, a tool that they can use because drugs don't work and we know that psychotherapy doesn't really work with that kind of historical trauma so um, mm. we've been we've been working with it and we're seeing um, mothers heal we're seeing their children heal and mm. their parents heal i mean whole family systems and it's been it's been a beautiful journey for 
for that, but we have a vision of wellness. We call it the future of native wellness. Excuse me. We call it the future of native wellness. And we are um, kind of out to make a change anyways in the way that we are, um, you know, to create our own medical systems that aren't dependent on IHS or Indian Health Services because it's um, below par service. So, um, you know, we're, we're focused on our children and the next generations. And uh, it's a beautiful journey, so. Thank you. Um, you know, before we go on, I'm just going to ask you, I may have something to apologize for, and just it just emerged for me. When I read from this book, this Canadian textbook, and I cited this glorification of the police as it chases the native people off their lands, in quoting that, did I commit a mistake by using a certain word for native women? Patricia, what would you say about that? If, if I did, no. I, I apologize. I was just trying to show what this was, but I realized that some words can be very hurtful. Right, but it wasn't hurtful to me. Okay, well, thank you. Um, <clears throat> then I'd like to put <clears throat> this question to you as well, because you and I have had many conversations, and you often pointed out to me that some of these Western ways of healing just don't work, or they have to at least be um, transformed into language and into thinking that is congruent with uh, indigenous tradition. So can you pick up on what we were saying when it comes to healing and, and bring together what you've learned about Western healing modalities, but putting them into your own particular vessel and your particular way of, of, of putting it forward? Um, yes. Um I think just connecting with Ruby that, um, first of all, I love that about the um, our, the land being within us and the history being within us. Um, and that trauma for myself um, really did change my brain. And so I've gone to neuroscience basically for healing through neurofeedback and as well um, deep brain reorienting. And so what I would say is I'm over the last 30 years, it's been this slow and gradual awakening to the beauty and the power and the in inclusivity within our ancestral teachings and, and how mystery and uncertainty is, is a part of life. Of um, I listen to you saying, I hear people have these enormous uh, or large awakenings, spiritual awakenings, and that it hasn't happened to me. And I, I think about being in ceremony, and now I'm realizing how that spiritual mystery is the center and the, the central part of 
everything. And it's taken me a while to come to this place. That's our relational connection um, of us here from different nations. It's that it's our spiritual ceremonies and the unity that's in that. And so how do we begin to talk about these things using the English language? You know, mm. it's, 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 it's a challenge for me. And so what I do is I, for example, resiliency. I wanted to um, connect with one of the chiefs from Girkatla and ask him, do we have a word for it? Or when we speak about resiliency, what, how do we speak about it? Because not being a speaker myself, I find that in our language, there's this deep poetic wisdom. And it's mm. be, and the language, for example, um, you asked, um, uh, I'm going to say ghost horse. Um, because I, the print's too small to see your, your name, um, that there isn't a word for domination in Lakota. So there's an example. So then how do you speak about that behavior? And so in, that's what I loved about compassionate inquiry. It's the inquiry part for sure and the compassion part as well. So, um, so I think that it's, for me, it's definitely a challenge, but I'm working to do that, to, um, to go to our Adawah, which is our sacred stories, to go to our Yaw, which is our ancestral law, to participate not only in the, they're called potlatches, but our feasts, um, but, but also, the ceremonies of other people from other nations, because the more we do that, I believe, the more I'm going to, the better the chance of articulating this interconnectedness or this relation, uh, relationality that's always existed. But I, I couldn't, I couldn't get into that sacred line um, because of how my brain changed from incest. So, um, mm. but now just as the brain changes from trauma, it also changes through healing. And ceremony has been a really big part of that for me and our people and our ways, I believe. It's that my connection with community and with other guests here that are helping me to find a way to speak to it in English. Thank you. Jesse, I'd like to ask you, um, as a Métis, and uh, it's almost like identity might even be, I could be wrong, but I'm just imagining that reclaiming identity might be even more difficult for you because it's like you're between two peoples um, in, in origin. And, and uh, much of your book really is about the implicit uh, message in your book is you're really reclaiming your identity and, 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 and your healing has much to do with that. Can you address that? Yeah, Métis is uh, I, as a category here in Canada that um, we are in, we're an ethnogenocized um, uh, 
people that came from fur traders, right? White, white men and uh, First Nations mothers and grandmothers. And over time, a new, a new ethnogenesis came to be. We resisted Canada politically. We went to war. Uh, we were one of the only two uh, that actively went to war against Canada. And what Canada did is it uh, tried its best to erase us. We're known as the forgotten people. We weren't treated uh, collectively with reserves or reservations in the states. We uh, had to go through the script system. And what this did is it individually separated us from our kin. It separated us from our uh, cousins who are First Nations, as well as from settler society. And we came to live on the sides of roads as squatters. We were like the Roma of North America. And so in that deep, deep poverty where we never had access to education, we didn't have the protection of Indian affairs. We didn't have electricity until the 70s, running water, any of that. Um, all of our a whole generation of our kids in my generation were let go into adoption. And in that severing, I lost connection to my kin. I lost connection to my identity, my history. Uh, and it was very damaging, right? I was placed elsewhere, raised somewhere else where people didn't even know what Métis was. They still really don't know what it is. And so going back and reclaiming, I'm not only trying to reforge relationships with my mom and my people who are my living kin, going on the land and doing ceremony in Saskatchewan with my uh, other than human kin. I also have to sort through the colonial violence of people claiming my identity that aren't us. And so for adoptees coming back to themselves, it's really, really treacherous water, right? It muddies the water. Uh, and so, you know, I hope my book is kind of like a guidepost for people to see how I did that process. I actually put it in there. And I did this through reclamation of genealogy. I reconnected with elders. And in that, I learned what Métis was, and it deconstructed the idea that Métis are just a mixed race people. We're actually a political nation that resisted Canada. And about that came through 10 years of reconnection and I'm still confused and have cultural ambivalence about who I am, right? And so maybe that's mm -hmm. the real identity of what a Métis person is, is this cultural uh, ambivalence, I don't know. Um, but I'm trying to rediscover and reconnect. It's the key back. Thank you. Uh, Teokasin and Ruby, you both mentioned the um, the forbidding uh, of, of of native history in schools, and um, it's really interesting here in Canada. Uh, it's illegal in Canada to deny the Holocaust. You can actually go to jail for denying the Holocaust. But and as as, as you all know, in June. They discovered, I say and discovered, because it was really not a new discovery, these, these bodies of children near the res reservation school, reservation, uh, residential schools. Native people have known about this forever, and they've talked about it forever, but all of a sudden Canada discovered it. And uh, two weeks before that discovery, that gruesome discovery of these bodies, there was a poll done in Canada. 70% 70, 70 of Canadians knew nothing or very little about residential schools. This is this June, according to a national poll. After those bodies were discovered, um, Conrad Black, who's a Canadian former press baron and he's a part of the elite, 
he he said that this is myth of Canadian cultural genocide. So it's perfectly legal to deny the genocide of our people, while it's illegal to deny genocide that happened in Europe. Atiyokas and Anubi, what are people so afraid of? What are they so afraid of if they allow you to speak your history? I mean, behind that, uh, the, that injunction against teaching history, there must be a deep fear of something. What do you think the fear is? Okay. Do you want to go first, Ruby? Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. Um, very good question. Uh, in my daily life, I'm, I'll go with this. Um, my mother, who's a fluent Lakota speaker, said to me, son, that we cannot uh, speak Lakota without intuition. Mm. And uh, it's easier to speak English because to intuition seems to be a secondary, third, even third thought. And so when you're in relationship with um, consciousness, um, I'd say Akantu, which is really earth people, earth man, earth being. And so you're, you're always in the present moment and the future is always here and the past is always here. And so being conscious of the history, um, like I said before, before 1492, the ancestors which go before us, um, and that's who we follow yeah, because they do go into the future first. So we follow them. And when I'm thinking about, okay, how, um, how we go back to the Mintakoe Oyasi, you know, and, and how we would say, we, we, and the older way of thinking that I'm told is that there's not, uh, if trees have conscience, which is not true, trees, rocks have consciousness, they're intelligent. Mm. And, and it's, it's that's what we do is cut ourselves off with anthropocentric thoughts of only humans matter. And um, in the, the truer sense of Lakota, you cannot just say humans matter. When you say Oyate, it's just not the humans. We can be specific. So when I view this in a larger context, this is why America or the United States has everybody in it, but the native people are squeezed into little boxes called reservations because we have room for everybody. But English and all those Romance languages don't have room for the indigenous or the native people. You see, so there is a, a deep, different contrast going on here. And these sound like, you know, I've been theorizing everything in my mother said there's no theory in Lakota because you're working in reality you're working at the present moment with everything so there's consciousness rather than so much conscience are we doing the right thing or the right wrong thing according to the rules and regulations of the domin mm. dominant society so I'd like to mm. say it that much yeah what a great distinction between consciousness and conscience thank you Ruby, did you want to add to that? Yes, um, I would. Um, I had um, this dream that there were 200 people in a cave and they were all holding hands and chanting this word, 
Komadi, 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 like over and over again. And I woke up from the dream with those, those that word in front of me, K H O N or O M D I. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. So I looked it up in the, um, Googled it, of course. <laughs> it, um, didn't have a, a word for it, but in the Women's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets by Barbara Walker, she has um, that word in her dictionary. And the word is um, means, um, it's like the heartbeat of Mother Earth. Um, mm. Kumari, Kumari. Komari, komari, like that. And so I just started playing with the word and I started searching for it and um, it became um, a really long story that I won't go into, but the dream and it incubated this idea of people of all nationalities. And I had been at an indigenous gathering the night before this dream, and there were all indigenous people from all around the world. And um, uh, it, was, it was an incredible experience to be able to um, not only gather with them, but from that, I wrote this little book called Komadi, The Heartbeat of Mother Earth, and I, put all their stories because, you know, in Mexico, in Spanish, they say um, comadre, and in um, Otomi or Olmec, they say, um, uh, let's see, what's that one? They, they just, um, they said that they had that word. And then every word, every person that I spoke with had some relationship with this word. And mm. it was like, um, we were in Big Bear, California, and it was, uh, there was a moment there where um, this, uh, this uh, Amazon Peruvian, <laughs> you know, shaman, he, he was said that that word meant, the earth and holding up the rocks like holding up the earth and everyone from across the world had a relationship to that word and that is really at the basis of of everything because it's the core heartbeat and that's what we live by that's what sustains us right and so we spend time just komadi, komadi, komadi. Almost every language has this word in it, and it seems to be a common thing, a common language that just came up in my in my dream. But I just wanted to share that because we're not so different, you know. We're um, there's a lot of commonalities, and there are a lot of differences, but. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I just uh, I'm not sure if I answered your question but that's, that was my answer 
Thank you. Thank you. Just a second. Ruby, I just want to tell you what happened for me when you said that word. It just penetrated me immediately without me knowing even what it meant. And and I also noticed that to translate it into English, you have to use several words so that so that it's almost like foreign to us and we have to use many of our words to explain something that goes right to the heart. So that was my experience. Yeah. Jesse, what would you like to, to say? Con, let me just clarify. Con ma is the Tibetan word for mother. Wow. So oh, thank you. I don't know your connection to Tibet, but <laughs> not much. <laughs> but thank you. Yes. Jesse? Yeah, thank you for, for your comments. Um you you said why don't your original question was why can't North or Canadians or Americans face the history, right? Yeah. I think it's because in many ways they're they can't admit that there was a successful what's called Liebenstrom here. Uh, this yeah. is the policy of sending a, a group of an army forward, clearing the land for colonization, and then transplanting nationals behind them. This comes from the NSADP, right? The Nazis. That's what they did when they took over yeah. the Ukraine. And so I guess it's just been a successful Liebenstrom here in North America, if you can use that word. And they can't admit that, right? No one wants to be the bad guy, right? And that's the truth of what happened here in North America, if you look at the policies. So, You know, that reminds me of um, in, in, in Jack Forbes' book, Columbus and Other Cannibals, which interesting is the title itself, isn't it? With Columbus, Columbus Day and this great discovery of North America. He was a mass murderer, you know? I mean, and Israeli taught that way. But Buffy St. Marie said, the whites carry the greed disease. They need to be cured, but they usually don't mind their disease or even recognize it because it's all they know. And their leaders encourage them in it, and many of them are beyond help. I'd like to, and, and, and yet what I'm getting, I've had this strong sense for a long time, is that the redemption of this dominant culture is going to have to be through the recognition and respect for indigenous ways. So we have so much to learn. So I'd like to, in what time remains to us, ask all of you to talk about resistance and healing from your perspective. And uh, Teokasan, maybe I'd like to start with you because you talked about this intuitive knowledge uh, that's so different from the intellectual knowledge that that predominates in our culture. What would be, so from the point of view of intuitive knowledge, how do you and how do we resist this dominant narrative and how do we find healing? And that's the question I'm asking all of you. But okay, okay. I'll, okay, I'll try to make this brief. Um, I think um, part of that is for Native people, it's not just land acknowledgement because that's performative. Now, yes. land back movement is also, you know, people are afraid of that and it's like we have to give the land back to the Native people when they weren't doing anything with it. That proves to me that there's a lot of unlearning to do with the Western education, you know, because it's always been skewed towards, you know, promoting one way of living. And I'm thinking about, and 
I'm talking about this in a very good way. Um, the ceremonies that I've been through and, you know, being a sun dancer, going through the wiping the tears ceremony, I found all the trauma information. I found all of that depression information, facts, and read the books and self-help. Um, and it was good information, acknowledged, acknowledgement, right? And uh, it, it really only filled some, some part of me up. But until I went through the ceremonies, the wiping the tears ceremonies, did something really, truly move. Something has to touch your heart rather than being trying to change by the information up upstairs, because that's good for a society, not a culture. So yes, to bring ourselves out of the, the people of color schematic that's going on is to realize that we are people of culture and our languages are still intact here. And the intuition is forward and foremost is what we um, communicate with all other living beings rather than just the anthropocentric side of who we are. So I, I do think that that greater good, I mean, Doc's more than just all my relatives, or all my relations. It's really saying E equals MC squared and beyond. And I think that's, if you understand that language, those languages that don't need concepts, that don't need nouns, that we're speaking uh, an ever-present, describing uh, the energy and then describing the motion of the energy is, is what uh, my studies are. And visiting and going to these indigenous peoples all over the world is that we're speaking the quantum physics languages. These languages are spoken within and encoded what, what mathematicians write on, on boards. So if you go mm -hmm. through these ceremonies, you really understand it. So I say, spend time not thinking. You know, spend mm -hmm. time not thinking. Do the real thinking right here from the Chante. Mm -hmm. So this is how mm -hmm. we started greetings out, you know, so that way. Thank you. What is you of the Globe and Mail is a Canadian newspaper, and it's got a billboard. It used to have, you know, advertising itself, and it said, "Never stop thinking." <laughs> Never. <laughs> That's the whole problem. All so right. it's it's really like uh, it's rather than Descartes, I think, therefore I am. It's more like we think, therefore we are. Okay. Thank you, and. Uh, the other honored guest, what would you say about this issue of resistance and healing or just healing, whatever you want to add here now? Um, from my experience as uh, someone who, um, former crack addict street person, jail, you know, was, that was like a hotel for me. It was through yeah. connection and, and how I found those connections was actually through kindness. Kindness was the, the way back, right? Ki accepting kindness from others because I was very mm -hmm. sick and didn't believe that I uh, deserved love and mm -hmm. learning to be kind to others. And so, and that rebuild those strands that Ruby was talking about. My connection to food, my, my diet improved, my connection to love. I found love. I married my wife and we're having a kid. Uh, my Who's connection here? to my mom through forgiveness. Mm -hmm and love right it was all through kindness and so that to me is the way back and the way to really resist kindness and joy thank you Patricia perhaps you're gonna I was I was looking at Ruby smiling but 
Um, Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm just really appreciating this conversation. And um, I I think resistance is is important. And um, for me, it's been important because one of my um, responses to threat my go-to has been to fight, and and the fight hasn't has been within that whole framework of dominate or, or be dominated, and mm. um, and so through through ceremony and through feasts and through listening to fluent speakers through reading our sacred stories, I'm I'm coming to see that it, I can resist. And I can resist in a way that aligns with um, what Brother Jesse just said, with kindness, with compassion, with courage, um, with strength, aligned to my ancestors, or aligned with my ancestors, rather than to retaliate for revenge or... Mm to uh, be smarter or to be uh, better or richer or whatever that is, um, to come out of that whole conditioned way of thinking. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I like that, not thinking. Yeah. But being in this way is, is what I'm, that's how my resistance is showing up in life is um is to to be in this way and um mm. it's a sacred way of being thank you thank you ruby any words from you yes i i just wanted to to note that we have some of the same uh, value system in in uh, Lakota. Uh, so it's always nice to hear. You know, we get to gather with women every month um, as part of a training, and, and we get to pick up on the pulse of different communities um, across the United States. Um, unfortunately, we're unable to come into Canada because our grant. Um, prohibits that, but um, it's that kind of connection for me is is everything. You know, being able to have um, that—that's what gives me strength, and mm. that's where I think I fight back because um, anything that that improves us or anything that can help us recognize that we have so much power inside of us. We have the capacity to make a lot of changes if we just slow down, stop thinking, and go into our hearts. Because that's where the root of, you know, of our soul, of our spirit, and um, that's what I do every day. (laughs) So it's a it's not only a gift, but it's a way of life. You know, mm-hmm. when uh, 
anyways, we're we're trying to lift up our community, and um, and that's my form of resistance. Thank you for asking. Thank you. It, you know, you talked about slowing down, and <clears throat> that reminds me of an experience that I often recall. Um, this is uh, maybe 18 years ago. I was still working, practicing as a physician, and at that time, it was not illegal yet to talk on your cell phone when you were driving. So I'm driving along and leaving one of the hospitals, going to the next clinic, and I'm called by this indigenous nurse. And so I'm talking on the phone, driving, and I'm very quick and I jump in right away. And you know, I, uh, and every time I finish the sentence, there was long silence at the end of the at, the, at the other end. And then she would say something rather slowly. And then I jump in and I'd say, you know, and then with this long silence again. And I started thinking, what is she slow minded? What's going on here? And what was actually going on is, this is radical people, she was listening. <laughs> she was actually listening. <laughs> and not, not only she was listening, when, when I finished speaking, she would then consider what I had just said before formulating her response. And I thought, boy, I got something to learn here. And um, as, as I did today. So thank you so much all of you uh again for honoring us with your presence and your wisdom and your experience your very hard won experience um zaya maurizio if you'd like to come in to help us complete this uh, circle well i i just love the this this conversation has such a different rhythm than any of other of the other conversations we've had and i just appreciate so much just the rhythm completely drops me out of my <laughs> thinking head, head. Yeah. Um, so that already is a, such a precious gift along with the wisdom you all shared and i here is we've got some questions from the audience and there's so much how to say that you know the how to questions which are so much the western mind questions how to how do we support the indigenous people how to do it how to support lakota people how to create culture of safety within the health system so i wonder if <laughs> there we go ruby yes freedomlodge.org rapid city south dakota yes freedom, freedom lodge, lodge dot org we will yeah. be sharing that in the resources along with the film <laughs> okay and please mention my book my body my earth practice of my somatic body. archaeology yes I'll check it out thank you so yeah, yeah. yeah. Zaya, Zaya um, I just want to say about the rhythm I noticed it too <laughs> Very different rhythm about this conversation. I was actually going to mention it. There was one other conversation that was maybe close to it. And that was with Jack Cornfield and Tara Brock. And these people are both meditators, Buddhist meditators. They've been meditating for 40 years or more. And their energy and that rhythm was closest to this one I experienced today. But that took them 40 years of meditation to get there. 
spending lots of time not thinking. Yeah. Advice yeah. so, and unlearning. Yeah. I would like to see if anyone else has any comment on how to question, because it goes so much to the heart of our Western minds as well. Can I lend a little story about my four-year-old when she was four, um, 30 years ago? <laughs> so, um, you know, all this talk, uh, New Agey talk about Mother Earth, this and Mother Earth that, and it just like it was overwhelming. And finally, she said, "Ate, Father, um, if if Mother Earth is the mother of us, who's the mother of Mother Earth?" Or you go, and and so appropriately, I called my mother, and my my mother said, "Nasula or Nasu and seed." Seed is the consciousness of all of us, and that's I think that's the commonality that uh, Ruby is talking about, that there's commonalities that we've forgotten, these intuitive things that we've forgotten. And um, she also gave to me something that was probably circulating later on in, in her education. She said, Dad, you know, she said, real eyes, she pointed her eyes, real eyes, she pointed her heart, Real lies. Mm. <laughs> it says, realize, realize, real lies. Right? And I thought, well, that's that's the, the native way. What is the Western way? They say, realize, realize, real lies. Mm. Or you can go, realize, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's all above. It's all above the head. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, this is what you get from children who grow up in that traditional way as the best that we could, you know. So just wanted to lend that to to the mix here. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Wow. Patricia, do you would you like to add anything? Doesn't have to be anything that feels important to your heart to share. When it comes to helping or supporting um, here here in Canada with the 215 bodies found um, there's a fair bit of discussion happening around it and I would say a beginning of um, a good awakening and my former boss who was with First Nations Health Authority, um, she said she was really disturbed that her and I could go to speak and that people wouldn't listen to me, for example, physicians, in the way they would listen to her. She had a master's, I had a PhD, I have a PhD. And my response to her was, but that's good. It's good that they're listening to you because you're, you can use your voice then to educate those who won't listen to any of us. So, um, so that's, that's what I would say. Yeah. Thank you. And Jesse, do you feel like 
anything you want to add? Sure, yeah, I'll try. Um, so I did some work with Dr. Janet Smiley and Maria Campbell and um, Nancy, uh, Nancy La Liberté on how to prevent homeless deaths, basically, within triage in emergency settings. And we came to the conclusion that we need to, doctors need to see themselves as relatives of their patients, right? Mm. Uh, according to all my relations, which we've been talking about all along. And so they should prescribe friendship, right? Sounds so um, trivial, right? They should have social prescription, prescribing houses, right? And helping people get re-embedded back into relationships. And so we wrote a paper, it's called Pequewin Coming Home. And we, we think that this will work based on work that was done at the Westside Clinic in Saskatoon, where they had a resident elder in uh, when people walked in uh, and the elder knew their names, they knew their aunties, they knew what reserves they were from, they knew everything mm -hmm. about them, they were patient advocates. And I'm talking patient advocate at like 12 at night when it matters, right? And so, mm -hmm. and this woman saved lives. I forget what her name was now. And so we took a lot of those theories and ideas and we mashed them together in Pequewin. And yeah, it sounds corny, but I do believe that being a friend when it's needed is, is what will really help, uh, especially in those critical situations, healthcare. Thank you, Jesse, because this it's very beautiful. We, yesterday we had a panel with uh, medical doctors, five of them, and actually that was the conclusion of the panel. The medical shift paradigm has to be has to go in the direction of patient doctor relationships, building relationality, and understanding yes. how the patient is related to a community, to a land, to a to. Yeah, so thank you. This is so reaffirming in a way that 4MDs uh, had the intuition yeah. that that's the direction. Also. Can I add something? I want to mm. let, uh, let it be known that that's not my knowledge, right? This comes from community and indigenous communities have always known this, right? Yeah. So. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Well, um, again, um, thank you for this um, gift of this conversation um and i just love being in your presence and um thank, thank you. you for all the work that you okay take care bye-bye such an honor thank you everyone thank you. thank you to our brilliant speakers today for this powerful conversation and thank you to all of you for listening if you'd like to get in touch with us you can reach us at podcast at science and non-duality.com if you'd like to hear more talks more webinars courses and content like this please visit science and non-duality.com and click the join sand button to become a member to access our massive library of videos and talks and courses webinars and to join the community conversations that we host from time to time so thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can share it on social media and on your blog. And if you'd like, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a good review. Five-star review helps to spread the voice about our new initiative here at the Sounds of Sand podcast. Be welcome.